You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It was a packed courtroom today for the verdict in the Oscar Arfman murder trial. Arfman was found guilty of the first degree murder of Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson. Our Jill Bennett was in the courtroom and Jill, the verdict is in, but this isn't over yet. Not at all, Sophie. Generally, a first-degree murder conviction comes with that automatic life sentence. However, it was revealed in court today a psychiatric assessment of Oscar Arfman found a new diagnosis of schizophrenia. And that diagnosis could play a key role in what happens next. We're certainly happy that it's a guilty uh, verdict. First degree, uh, that means a lot to us. A sigh of relief for those who packed the courtroom to hear Madam Justice Carol Ross deliver the verdict in the Oscar Arfman murder trial. He was found guilty of first degree murder. You know, we in the Abbotsford Police Department uh, lost an outstanding cop and a great man. And again, for us, there's a huge hole. The judge ruled Crown proved beyond a reasonable doubt Arfman was the man who stole a black Mustang and on November 6th, 2017, shot Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson twice, killing him as he responded to the stolen car call. Arfman was boxed in by other officers and arrested moments later. A rifle was seized from the stolen Mustang. During the trial, defense lawyers argued there were discrepancies in witness descriptions of Arfman and issues with how the seized rifle was handled by police. But the judge ruled the evidence proves that firearm was the one Arfman used to shoot Officer Davidson and that an image captured by dash cam after the shooting clearly shows Arfman. I think it's a very good decision. I think she reviewed the evidence very carefully and uh, I'm not prepared to be critical at all of the way she approached the evidence and the conclusions that she arrived at. The judge also found Arfman knew he was shooting at a police officer when he fired at Constable Davidson the second shot while Davidson was on the ground. But the defense has raised the issue of Arfman's mental state, saying a psychiatrist's assessment shows he suffers with schizophrenia. That means even though the guilty verdict carries an automatic life sentence, the court case isn't over. It's certainly hard that we know that we have to go through this process again, that, you know, come February, that we'll have to sit through potentially another month of trials. And I know that's also very difficult for John and his family. As you know, they've been there from day one. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we need to let the psychiatrists and let the doctors and let the courts uh, continue to work on that decision. All right, Jill, when will Arfman be back in court? Well, he will remain in custody, Sophie. Crown Defense and Arfman will be back here in B.C. Supreme Court in February. That's when it's expected the results of a second psychiatric assessment will be released to the court. With the defense making the argument Arfman is not criminally responsible for his actions that day. However, during the trial, Crown said Arfman knew exactly what he was doing when he shot Constable Davidson and should have known the results, should have known the repercussions for doing that. So back in February, for more on this case. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Jill Bennett in New Westminster. Meantime, in a Vancouver courtroom where Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder, our first look at some of the video evidence collected by investigators. Jordan Armstrong shows us how dozens of pieces of surveillance video trace the movements of the accused and his alleged victims in the hours before their murders. And a warning, the details in this story are disturbing. 
Rocky Rambo Wayne Amcam is seen wearing sandals, shorts, and a New England Patriots sweater in a police photo from November 2017, about a month and a half after the murders of Diana Ma Jones and her husband, Richard Jones. The judge has released surveillance videos which show the couple's last hours alive and a man Crown says is the accused. 5.53 p.m., the man believed to be Cam is caught on store and bus cameras walking near Granville Street. 68-year-old Jones, who used a walker, was seen on video in a liquor store on 70th Avenue just after 6 p.m. He's last seen walking down Hudson Street around 15 minutes later. Ma Jones was seen on video leaving a dance class around 7.08 p.m., then going shopping at the Costco in Richmond. At 7.31 p.m., the man believed to be Cam is seen walking down Birch Street near the couple's home. According to the Crown's timeline, Ma Jones then arrived home just past 8 p.m. The couple's bodies were found stacked in the shower of their residence in a scene that police have described as catastrophic. The Crown's theory is that Cam was already in the home when Ma Jones walked in. A police officer and blood spatter expert has testified he found the 64-year-old's blood in several rooms and a stain suggesting she'd been moved from the living room to the kitchen. The next video was taken after 10.30 p.m., showing a white vehicle pulling up on Cartier Street and a person exiting. The court had previously heard Ma Jones's stolen white Kia was found on that street, which is a short distance from her home. Videos released earlier show a man purchasing a hat, gloves, and a hatchet at Canadian Tire. The Crown's theory is that Cam purchased those objects in the days leading up to the double murder with the intent of killing someone, but that he had no relationship with the victims. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Police are looking for a suspect in an apparent road rage attack that left a senior badly injured. It happened near Duncan. The victim was driving along Heard Road. According to RCMP, the senior was tailgated by someone driving a truck who did not seem pleased with his rate of speed. The truck driver then pulled over and the victim pulled in behind him. After a short conversation, the suspect smashed the driver's side window and then punched the 85-year-old man repeatedly in the face and head. The truck is described as a third-generation Dodge Ram extended cab, silver in color, white canopy with tinted side glass and a tinted rear glass, uh, black or darker aftermarket rims, and the rear bumper had an accent along the length of the top. If you have any information that may help in the investigation, you are asked to call RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Surrey RCMP are hoping you can help identify a suspected arsonist. This fire happened last May at the Fountain Tire Speedy Glass in the 15300 block of Fraser Highway in the Guildford area. Investigators today released new photos. Take a look. They want to hear from anyone who recognizes this man who was seen in the area at the time of the fire. He's completely bald and was wearing blue shorts and a Che Guevara t-shirt at the time. Also, take a look at this. A semi-truck bursts into flames just under the Patello Bridge this afternoon. The truck was being driven from one shop to another when it suddenly caught fire. Thankfully, there were no injuries. It's believed a fuel leak is to blame. Firefighters managed to put it out fairly quickly. Heather Leung, former Conservative Party candidate in Burnaby North Seymour, is unapologetic and speaking out tonight. Last week, she was dropped by her party when an old video surfaced of her making homophobic remarks. Catherine Urquhart asked Leung about the controversy and confusion around her campaign now. Would you like to apologize to anybody? Well, it, it, is, it is my in, 
My intention is not to hurt anyone. Heather Leung remains defiant after video surfaced of her making homophobic comments. Because these homosexual people, they cannot reproduce the next generation. They recruit more people and more people into their camp. Last week, the Burnaby North Seymour candidate was dumped by the Conservative Party, which condemned her comments. When we become aware of things that uh, are inappropriate, then uh, we take appropriate action. Leung's office remains plastered in Conservative Party signs. And with ballots already printed, Leung will appear as the Conservative candidate. A lot of people, though, when they go to vote and when they see the signs, they're going to see Conservative. Do you feel that you're misleading them? Well, like what I say, I am uh, still a candidate according to uh, Election Canada's. Leung says she'll continue campaigning and using signs that identify her as a conservative candidate in Burnaby North Seymour, even though the party has rejected her. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now to talk about tonight's French language debate. And Keith, the mm -hmm. English debate turned out well for the NDP. So what are we expecting to see tonight? Probably not as good a result for the NDP because the political dynamics in Quebec are substantially different. Uh, right now, the polls are showing consistently it's really between the Bloc Québécois and the Liberals in that province. So uh, I don't think Jagmeet Singh is going to fare as well there as he did in the English leaders' debate. But we've got some polling data from Abacus Data that shows uh, head and shoulders that Jagmeet Singh was the guy who won that debate in terms of uh, impressions from those who watched or heard about the debate. Look at the numbers. Only 11% negative for Jagmeet Singh, 59% Almost two-thirds of the people think uh, he had the most positive impressions. Elizabeth May was second. Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer basically neck and neck and sort of flatlining with both equal positive and negatives. As I said off the top, it's going to be a different result tonight, Sophie, in Quebec. Uh, Jagmeet Singh's numbers don't, uh, aren't uh, translating well there in that province for some time. But he may get a little bit of a bounce because he was quite effective in the English leaders' debate. And I think this is the first time a lot of Quebecers are going to lay their eyes on him. And they'll probably like what they see more than what they've seen up until now. But I still don't see the Liberals or the Bloc giving up their sort of two-way, uh, front-way uh, lead over the other two parties. All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. New numbers from the province show a dramatic spike in the number of vehicles using the Portman Bridge over the last five years. And while it may come as a surprise to some, the increase started even before the toll was removed. As Janet Brown reports, the problem is more than just a traffic issue, and some fear a new Patullo Bridge may not bring much relief. Got a crash on the low heat exit lanes. Uh, before this probably won't come as any surprise to those who travel over the Portman Bridge on a regular basis. The traffic is getting worse. Uh, it is slowing down traffic that is coming across the Portman Bridge. I've been a commuter for about 20 years into the downtown core. And uh, consistently, we seem to get worse. Let's look at the numbers provided by the Transportation Ministry. Total average daily traffic volume across the Port Man in 2014 was 94,000. By 2017, when the tolls were taken away by the NDP government, the number had climbed to 122,000. And last year, it was up to 150,000. Bickham's never seen the traffic over the bridge this bad. Probably about two weeks ago, door to door from here in Fraser Heights to downtown Vancouver, I was about two and a half hours. Surrey Board of Trade CEO Anita Huberman says businesses too are feeling the same pain. 
delays in traffic, uh, productivity uh, at the workplace, uh, employees being late, uh, that's a cost to business. Meanwhile, over at the Patello Bridge, daily traffic volumes have been on a steady decline in recent years. In 2015, there was a high of nearly 77,000 vehicles a day crossing the span, and that has dropped down to just about 62,000 last year. Bickham would be willing to pay the toll again if it meant a faster commute. Honestly, when there were tolls on the bridge, that was about the best commute that I ever had. With an estimated 1,000 people moving to Surrey every month and more people choosing to live south of the Fraser River because of lower housing prices, traffic across the Portman is only expected to get worse. Janet Brown, Global News. Right now, though, the Bowen Island Fire Department is embroiled in a dispute that could put home and business owners at risk. That's right. The problem centers around leadership, and it's apparently gotten so bad, all of the volunteer firefighters have threatened to resign. Ted Chernecki explains what it could mean for homeowners on the island if a solution isn't found. Hey, get them out of the picture. Put somebody else in. To friends and family of Bowen Island's 26 volunteer firefighters, the solution is real simple. He needs to be taken out of the picture to get them back. But for the mayor, who spoke directly with protesters, it isn't that simple. We've got to go through council and we've got to go, you know, and do all the different things and go through our HR department and there's process. They weren't buying any of that and took to marching into Municipal Hall and demanding an emergency council session to be called before the 4 o'clock deadline. You need to step up and get rid of this man immediately. At issue is Fire Chief Derek Dixon, who was hired from North Vancouver in July. The protesters believe he's still on probation and want him out now. Without being specific about why the volunteers don't trust or even like Dixon, it appears he may have tried to shake things up at a fire hall that was set in its ways. There's never been an issue of, I hope we don't get somebody that actually tries to make us do something or so we can just sit around and do nothing. That's never, ever been the case. And we, again, we welcome, we enjoy our training. We, you know, we do it as a, a tight-knit family. This is much more than just a squabble between staff and management. All residents on Bowen are concerned for their safety. The chances of this being um, a safe situation anytime soon is, 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 I think, is pretty remote. My insurance rates double as of 4 o'clock today. Minutes before 4 this afternoon, volunteer firefighters started to arrive with their resignations. But then a sudden announcement from the mayor. On the volition of the fire chief, he was the one that said, I, w I am prepared, on his own volition, I am prepared to step aside for the good of the community. The chief out of day-to-day -day operations, volunteer firefighters agreed to stay on the job, but with explicit instructions to the municipality that they will never accept anything less than the chief's full resignation. We gave them... Not an ultimatum, but a question, will you work with us in this way under these circumstances? And they've come back to us to indicate that I guess it was their idea that that happened, but we'll give them that. Global News. Potential home buyers in Metro Vancouver are getting more of a break as the price of a home is still trending downward. The latest survey from Royal LePage says prices fell a little more than 5% in the third quarter of this year compared to a year ago. The average price of a detached home is now just under $1.2 million. Condo prices fell the most, about 6%, to an average of just under $640,000. Royal LePage says it is a buyer's market right now. Well, despite the drop, home ownership is still an impossible dream for many people in B.C. And while government initiatives like the foreign buyer's tax may be helping, 
They've also had unintended negative consequences. Tonight we focus on what the federal parties are promising and talk to the experts who agree that none of them are making affordable housing a priority. Aaron MacArthur reports. I live in a basement suite and I don't have a stove. And I think about organizing dinners with friends, but I'm like, I don't have a table. UBC student Ree Mafani Kirkland lives in Carisdale. The easy commute, more than offset by expensive rent and substandard amenities. Housing affordability is the key economic issue facing so many people across BC. Ultimately, when it comes to rental, we don't have enough of it and the market's not going to provide it. So the federal government needs to be stepping in to fund that. Where the federal government is supposed to help on housing is through financial incentives. It's been decades since affordable rental homes have been at the top of the federal government's agenda. This election cycle, the Liberals and Conservatives are promising to make home ownership easier. Liberals pushing the first-time home buyer's credit and Andrew Scheer vowing to scrap the mortgage stress test. The NDP has promised 500,000 new homes and billions of dollars to pay for it. When we talk about housing affordability, there is this bigger question of affordability in general. Sure. And I think that touches upon a profound challenge for Canadian households now as we look at how many of them are actually in severe debt. More than what the federal government has committed to their housing strategy over 10 to 11 years. Generation Squeeze has graded the parties on their platforms around housing affordability, and the numbers paint a gloomy picture. No one is anywhere near matching the need. We are frustrated that home prices have left our earnings behind, which then makes it harder to afford time at home and time in the labor market when we start our families. Housing affordability plays into so much of what the October 21st election is about. Without access to stable, quality housing, young voters like Kirkland are left wondering if their concerns are fairly being addressed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, on the subject of leaders, the Global News 980 CKNW Leadership Series is back for another year. Our first guest is Annalisa King, chair of the YVR Airport Authority Board, who discovered that her self-described overbearing nature, while effective in her early career, wasn't necessarily helpful in her leadership roles. But I was very good at completing things, very good at um, challenging, very good, obviously, at, at, at articulating an opinion, and I wouldn't back down. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously that served me really well in my early days um, in terms of, you know, as a worker. Mm -hmm. But and certainly getting things done, but as a leader, it's totally different. It almost turns itself on its ear. King shares some great lessons on leadership, social responsibility, and diversity. And you can catch our chat with her tomorrow on BC One. The Leadership Series runs on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays on BC One. Among our guests, of course, Annalisa, also Commodore Angus Topshi, Commander of Canada's Pacific Fleet and Chief Rust Ships of the Beecher Bay First Nation. Excellent, excellent topics. A spectacular fall evening out there tonight. Great night to get out and enjoy it, as meteorologist Christy Gordon has done. Checking out the Stanley Park Ghost Train. It's kicking off tonight, Christy. <laughs> Looking good. That's right. VIP tonight, open to the public starting tomorrow. Yes, look who I found, the Queen of Hearts. Thank you for uh, joining us here tonight, Queen. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. The public loves me. They love me. <laughs> the theme this year is Allison in Nightmare Land. Tell us what people can expect from the show. Oh, well, you all know Alice in Wonderland. Well, Alice is a teenager now. She's gone to the dark side. She's goth. And she's descended into 
into Nightmare Land, where she's chased by a deranged white rabbit, and time chases her, and you might meet the the Jabba, the Jabba. The Jabba I'm scaring myself now. Anywho, the Mad Hatter's gone quite mad. The uh, March Hare is now March Hairless. Tweedledee and Tweedledum are now mm, Tweedledead, and you'll see the rest. It's a spectacular journey through Nightmare Land. We hope you survive. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know how scared I am. I, this is a little scary. Now, we're, it's on right through until um, Halloween. There, it's in evenings from 5.30 on, but over the weekends, there's also a matinee portion, which is not as spooky for kids. So that's recommended for kids. Thank you so much, Your Highness, for joining us tonight. Please come play croquet with me in the plaza. I'm there every hour on the hour. <laughs> All right, back to you guys. <laughs> croquet in the plaza. I might need the kid-friendly one. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. That was that was weird. All right. Shocking dash cam video in eastern China captures an overpass suddenly collapsing on a number of cars. State TV says at least three vehicles were crushed, but the driver of a three-wheeled vehicle avoided death by a matter of inches. Rescue crews spent hours clearing the debris, and cranes were brought in to lift vehicles from the top of the overpass. It's been three days since a 14-year-old boy was stabbed to death outside his school in Hamilton as his mother watched, and investigators were back at the school today. As Global Sean O'Shea reports, parents are demanding action, and school officials and politicians are searching for answers. It's been a difficult week for students, teachers, staff, and parents here at Sir Winston Churchill Secondary School, a Hamilton community coping with the stabbing death of one of their own. 14-year-old Devin Selvey stabbed here on Monday with his mother right nearby. On Wednesday night, they held a vigil here to honor Selvey's memory. I tried to save him and I couldn't, I couldn't get to him in time. His family says Selvey had been regularly bullied. He's been described as a student who stood up for others, but he died when witnesses said he was stabbed in the back. It stops here. It stops today. I think the whole community feels the same way <laughs> that our children aren't safe. Bullying is a problem that faces students of any age. This is all too often in schools in Ontario. It is everywhere. School officials were aware of the problems faced by Selvi, according to the young man's family. The education minister was asked how a child could be bullied without getting the support they need. We have so much more we must do to remediate the very real challenges of parents increasingly who feel that the system isn't responsive to their needs and conversely that the child doesn't feel comfortable to seek out that support. Police detectives arrived at the school to continue their investigation. The 14 and 18 year old suspects in the death face first degree murder charges. Neither can be named because of a court ordered publication ban. But independent of the criminal case, the education minister says an internal probe will take place focusing on how the system should be improved. What I will ask is for a rigorous investigation to understand where the gaps existed so there are lessons learned to ensure no child is left behind as a consequence of a system that is not improving the lives of young people. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Hamilton, Ontario. Another day, another potentially explosive development in the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump's dealings with Ukraine. Two potential witnesses, both with close ties to the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, have been arrested and charged with making illegal campaign contributions. 
Two potential witnesses in the impeachment inquiry charged in federal court today with illegally funneling campaign money to help President Trump. By repeatedly using straw donors and foreign money. Lev Parnas is from Ukraine, Igor Fruman from Belarus. They were preparing to leave the country on one-way tickets when they were arrested at Dulles International Airport in Virginia. The president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has previously said both men helped him in his dealings with Ukraine, including encouraging the country to investigate Joe Biden and his son. Giuliani's been involved up to his neck in this entire mess. Today's charges are not directly connected to the impeachment inquiry. I don't know about them. I don't know what they do. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they were clients of Rudy. Federal investigators say Parnas and Fruman sought to use foreign money to gain political influence. The American people expect and deserve an election process that has not been corrupted by the influence of foreign interests. Parnas and Fruman ducked impeachment inquiry depositions this week, and House Democrats have now issued subpoenas to force them to hand over documents. Late today, Democrats also subpoenaed Energy Secretary Rick Perry for documents related to the White House decision to withhold military aid to Ukraine. Meanwhile, the president of Ukraine said again today he felt no pressure on that July call at the center of the investigation. The president of Ukraine just said just now that the conversation was absolutely perfect. So I don't know why they'd be calling Rick Perry. I don't know why they'd be calling all these people. But House Democrats are pressing ahead, vowing to leave no stone unturned. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. In health matters tonight, Vancouver Coastal Health and the Richmond RCMP are teaming up to improve access to mental health services. It's the mental health car, and it'll bring together an RCMP officer and a mental health nurse to respond to calls from distressed residents. The team provides a rapid response to crisis situations and will connect patients with resources in the community. A ban on flavored e-cigarettes in Washington state goes into effect today. The state's health board approved the emergency ban on Wednesday and it will remain in place for the next 120 days. Governor Jay Inslee issued an executive order last month calling for the ban of flavored vaping products. He's also drafting legislation for a permanent ban. U.S. health experts have been sounding the alarm about vaping causing lung damage. The hit show Modern Family is in its final season and a BC sports superstar is going to be a part of it. Steve Nash posting pictures on Instagram, one holding a Modern Family script and another posing with cast member Ty Burrell saying he'll be playing Phil Dunphy's long lost brother who was put up for adoption and went on to play in the NBA. At least part of it's true. I would, I would believe that. <laughs> That's right. They Kind of looks like it might work. <laughs> All right, two of the world's most famous redheads team up on camera. Thanks for having me, man. This is something I'm quite passionate about. Oh, uh, you as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. This for me is, 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 is a. The is a serious message behind their funny video right after the forecast. All right, last time we saw Christy, she was being terrorized by the Queen of Hearts at Fright Nights. It's no, Fright, not Fright Nights. <laughs> Stanley Park Ghost Train. It, it seemed like it no. for yeah. a minute there. Stanley Park Ghost Train, and uh, she's back with a look yeah. at the forecast. Christy. 
Thanks so much, Chris. Yes, so uh, the Queen and a couple of other cards are playing croquet right in behind me. You'll be able to watch that in a second. First, though, uh, are you wondering about turkey dressing? Well, here's your Thanksgiving forecast, everyone. Yes, just a sneak pre preview of your holiday Monday. We are expecting some sunshine. But before that, we do have a bit of a change on for the weekend. First, though, today was very chilly. Over the last two days, 41 record lows have been broken across the province. There's a couple of them down to minus 5 in the Campbell River area. Overnight tonight won't be as cold as what we've seen. May see a few records broken, but for the most part, it's going to be a touch warmer. One degree is our low in Metro Vancouver, and the sunrises have been a exceptional. So get up early tomorrow morning, take a photo and send it to me because I do not like getting up early in the morning. So you can do the heavy lifting for me. No, beautiful. Thanks for everyone who shared those two with us. Now across the north, we will see rain for the north and central coast, increasing cloud further inland, but one more sunny day across the south and that will be the case across the south coast also. So Friday looking really nice, warm in the sunshine at 14 degrees, but we are going to see a change for the weekend, which means more cloud. At this point, it's only a 40% chance of showers in the afternoon on Saturday. So mostly dry this weekend, but certainly a change. And as I mentioned, yes, your Turkey Monday looks like we are having a little sunshine there. So I'm not sure who's winning yet. Oh, no, doesn't. No one's winning. The Queen will probably win. I probably guarantee that. I'll pick up a couple of these guys for you, and uh, we'll have fun. And don't forget, it's on right through until uh, Halloween, and you can get tickets at ghosttrain.ca. All right, thanks very much, Christy. It's puffy jacket season, obviously. Look at that. It's I was cold gonna, out there. I was going to tell her the Queen of Hearts was sneaking up behind her, but I didn't want to scare her. <laughs> oh, that, she'd lose it. <laughs> yeah, she would. All right, two of the world's most famous gingers have teamed up for a funny new video with a serious message. Coolest doorbell ever, and I suppose it's possible that Prince Harry has a God Save the Queen note to it. In the video, pop star Ed Sheeran visits Harry to discuss what he thinks is a pressing issue, the struggles of living with red hair. And, you know, I just feel like it's time that we stood up and said, you know, we're, we're not going to take this anymore. We are ginger and we're going to fight. Um, okay, um, slightly awkward. Um, this might be a miscommunication, but this, this is about World Mental Health Day. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, no, I knew that, no, no, I definitely knew that, yeah, definitely. <laughs> After Sheeran deletes his script about the king of ginge and Moroccan sunset hair, the two turn to the real reason for their video. Guys, this uh, World Mental Health Day, uh, reach out, make sure that your friends, strangers, look out for anybody that might be suffering in silence. Um, we're all in this together, all right? Thanks for watching. Cheers. I mean... Slightly awkward with a British accent is just... <laughs> well, home, home, home openers don't tend to go any better than they did last mm -hmm. night for the Canucks. Well, it was perfect. I think like only five or six guys didn't get a point. Mm -hmm. Nobody got hurt. <laughs> yeah. Two, all good. Oh, when Hughes got his first NHL goal. When Bo Horvat scored his first NHL goal, it was in 2014, and the guy who passed it to him was Derek Dorsett. That was a memorable moment in Bo Horvat's career. Another memorable moment was last night, being named captain by the Vancouver Canucks. And this time, the assist went to Henrik Sedin. Not only was it Henrik who passed the jersey with the C on it to Bo, but when he was playing with Bo Horvat, he assisted Horvat in how to eventually be the Canucks team leader. And to have Hank and Danny there and to have Hank give it to me, um, 
you know, that was another special thing because he, he was such a huge part of my first four years and, and learning what it's like to be a captain and how to be a pro. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it was the icing on the cake having him out there handing it to me and, and, and passing it off. How long well, have you been sitting on it for? Have you known? Uh, yeah, I've, I've known for a little bit now. Um, uh, maybe um, they kind of talked to me about it in the summertime and then um, you know, kind of made it official when I got back into town and uh, tried to keep it a secret as best I, c- I could. And, and everybody was trying to keep it a secret. It's probably the worst kept secret ever. But um, you know, I was uh, you know, as soon as I got that call, I couldn't believe it and, and tell my parents and everybody it was, it was pretty special. Now, during the player introductions, this was a great idea. The Canucks brought out one player from the various decades, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. But the one thing everyone noticed last night at Rogers Arena is the player who got the biggest cheer, and not just amongst the alumni guys, but the biggest cheer for any of the players, was Todd Bertuzzi. Presenting the 2000s, the West Coast Express rolls again with the premier power forward of his time, Todd Bertuzzi! Quite frankly, that could have gone on a little bit. It was going to be a standing ovation, but they had to move on and announce the next guy. Okay, Oilers, Devils, Kyle Palmieri blocks, shoots, scores. one nothing for New Jersey. Quinn Hughes got a goal last night, his first NHL goal. His brother Jack is yet to score in New Jersey. Here's a nice goal by Leon Dreisaitl, and then in the shootout, the Oilers won it 4-3. to been off to a good start. Well, the Lions are starting to make their season a little less of a disaster. They're playing much better of late, although they have played Eastern teams, and they're much easier than Western teams. But one Lion who has been pretty much good right from the start of the year is receiver Brian Burnham. He put on another display of hand-eye coordination last week against Toronto, making people around the league think he should be given serious consideration for most outstanding player in the entire CFL. Pressure coming. Riley stands in. Brian Burnham has been nothing short of brilliant this year, routinely making catches that look impossible to pull off. It's almost like he prefers the challenge, but to Burnham, it's no big deal. I've been practicing those catches since I was a little kid, so nothing really goes through my mind. I'm just seeing the ball and trying to go catch it. Taking a shot, looking for Burnham. Oh, what a catch. Did he get a foot down? He did. Burnham's in his fifth full season as a Lion and is clearly one of the team leaders. He's a coach's dream, a dependable clutch performer who just happens to be extremely low maintenance. He does everything we ask him to do. I mean, I've never been around a number one, a star receiver that's so team first. You know, it's like, you know, most of them have to be in a selfish mentality and he doesn't have that. This is the best wide receiver in the league. It's not up for discussion. Don't at me. Don't argue with me. Burnham's already set a career high with 88 catches. He leads the CFL with 1,300 yards, and his nine touchdowns are also tied for first. He's a sure first-team All-Star this year, but he's been so good, there's talk of most outstanding player consideration. I think there's a lot of people who are worthy. Um, obviously, I would, I would love that. That would be an honor. Obviously, I think about it, and uh, I'm going to work for it. As talented as Burnham is, he's also as tough as they come. 
That trait comes from his dad, Dr. Lem Burnham, a former defensive lineman who played in the NFL in the late 70s and early 80s, but is also a famed sports psychologist who taught young Brian all about competing. You know, I always have it written on my, on my tape and cleats, you know, don't punk out. That's what he used to always tell me, don't punk out. No matter how bad it hurts, no matter how tired you are, you never take a rest until the job's done. I was told that the little scoreboard on the Oilers said Edmund Tom, mm-hmm. who actually was my neighbor, Edmund Tom, and he was a huge Oilers fan, so that's what happened. Uh, with a typhoon heading towards Japan, two games at the Rugby World Cup scheduled for Saturday were canceled, and they won't be played at a later date. England against France, New Zealand, and Italy. The games are officially 0-0 ties. Both teams get two points each. That means Italy was not given a chance to win and make the knockout stage, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, Canada's next game is Namibia. Namibia make that on Sunday, and we don't know. That could be canceled as well. Mm-hmm. All up in the air right now. Thank, thanks very much for that score. Well, it happens more often than you might think. Doctors and jewelers forced to remove a ring from a swollen finger, and the most common solution is simply to cut it off. But now a device that's long overdue, created by a team of inventors in Halifax. Leo McKenzie only wears two rings, one his St. Mary's University ring, the other his wedding ring. But 17 years ago, while battling cancer, McKenzie had to get his wedding band cut off due to swelling. We found it very emotional. It was very difficult. There's a lot of difficult things, but that was one of the things that was the most difficult for us at the time. Fast forward to this past August. Mackenzie in the emergency room with an injured finger, the one donning his smew ring. Right away said, we've got to get that ring off. The hand was swelling. The finger was swelling quite a bit. This time, though, a better solution. The triage nurse said, but good news, we have a product here that can maybe take that ring off without us having to cut it off. Q Ring Rescue to the rescue. It's a device designed by Dalhousie mechanical engineering students for their final year design project. It turns out uh, there was no good way of getting rings off uh, reliably other than cutting. And we said, well, sounds like an interesting problem. Let's have a go. After plenty of prototyping and a lot of late nights, Hennessy says their school project turned into a fully commercialized product. Ring Rescue is easy to use. Let me show you how it works. It's a simple tool. You just place the device on your finger, apply pressure, and then raise your hand for four to six minutes. This makes the finger smaller. So go ahead and take your ring off. The company did its first production run of 200 units in August and ran out in three weeks. We're super excited with the way uh, that this uh, is continuing to turn out um, and it just fuels us to to work harder to to try to get it everywhere. Right now, he says ring rescue devices are primarily being bought up by the jewellery industry, but they're also hoping to get them into all hospitals to help more people like Mackenzie. I got to experience both and uh, uh, life is better with ring rescue, so it's good. Ashley Field, Global News, Halifax. Amazing. little cuff. Can you put your hand in the freezer and then your... Ice water, but then it also, it also chills the ring down, too. I so don't your know. ring gets smaller? Yeah. Potentially. I don't have a ring, so I'm just going to listen to you guys talk about so it. So you're fine? I'm just, fine. I just leave mine on all the time. Are you saying no avoid. one's popped the question to you? Isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Well, I don't know. It's 2019. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night. I'm old school. Look at that.